0: Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? so Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas Purchase Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash Canadaland to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash Canadaland. David Weiss, data journalist, director of the Story Lab at Humber College. Jesse Brown. All right, David. Today we're going to talk about Justin Trudeau. He has admitted to his one major shortcoming as a leader. He just doesn't care enough about his image. Do better, Justin. Also, do I dare say it again? I do. Omicron takes a walk on the mild side. Sorry, haters. Welcome back to Shortcuts, David, where we talk shit about the news. Glad to be here. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Jennifer Roy, Timothy Huff, Ishan Roy, David Stewart, Graham King, Shira Judin, Christopher Hare, and John.
2: My name's John, and I'm from Harrow, Ontario. I'm a monthly supporter because if I were to place Canada Land on a D&D alignment chart, it would be cantankerous good. I sometimes wonder whether it's possible to work toward a kinder world while still reveling in schadenfreude, but Canada Land gives me hope. That's gotta be worth a couple bucks, right?
1: So, David, it's that time of year again when our prime minister sits down for extended year-end interviews with a handful of news organizations. Have you watched these things? I have. It was for, for, you know, for my research, and uh, it was a thing. It was for your research. I would not have watched these in a million years if it wasn't my job to do so. Would you have watched them if you weren't coming to do this show? Please be honest.
0: No, I was I'm like, year-end interviews, that's something I should probably know exist. So uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, so they do. he does these year-end interviews. I was, and I got to be honest with you, I sampled from three. Yeah. You know, I had a nice sampling of uh, CBC, City News, and I believe the last one was CTV. And let me tell you, the results were surprising. Mm-hmm.
1: I want to hear how you were surprised cuz I was just bored out of my skull. Like it is amazing to me how little news these things generate, how little interest there is in them. Um and and like how little the opportunity is taken advantage of. I mean, to me, in theory, this is a really big opportunity for journalists. My understanding is that, you know, there are no terms that need to be agreed to. Like everybody who gets an interview with Trudeau for one of these things, they get like a half hour with him and they can ask him anything they want. Imagine what you could do with that. Like every newsroom in Canada that covers federal politics, they've got like all kinds of stories that they've been working on all year. Some of them have been published. Some of them haven't been published yet. And so many of them, you'd love to have comment from the prime minister. And it's really hard to get actual comment from the prime minister, uh, especially like, you know, off the cuff comment. Now is your chance. You got a half hour with a guy. You could just actually progress all of these different stories. And this is the big chance for that. You could go sensational with it. You know, you could go for eyeballs. Global News for example. You remember like during the election, Nitu Garcha, she interviewed Trudeau out in BC and it was a very testy exchange between the two of them. And imagine if Global had been like, all right, let's get these two back together for a head-on-head interview. Like, I would tune in just as like, damn, this is going to be fireworks here. So you could go journalistic with it. You could go sensational with it. But that is not how these things work.
0: No, and the most interesting one that I watched was City News. They came out swinging. Like, their format was great. They had four different journalists just kind of taking turns, throwing out questions about pretty much every topic that was relevant over the past year there was the uh you know truth and reconciliation Fino incident the discovery of, of the mass or quote unquote discovery of mass graves in Kamloops i say that because i mean indigenous communities have known or theorized about them for a long time uh there was climate change there was the pandemic there was uh hate crimes they covered everything and it was nice and they just didn't give trudeau really a time to To It wasn't as buddy-buddy, let's say, as Evan Solomon on CTV or Rosie Barton on CBC. I don't know. Did you find that?
1: I will agree that the City News, like, they broke format. There was something interesting about having all these different journalists there each to pose a question. Because the way that this actually gets played out in most newsrooms like it's a very weird series of customs that get performed like why didn't need garcha not get the interview with justin trudeau for global because Mercedes stevenson is the head of their ottawa bureau and essentially it's basically looked at as a demonstration of who the top journalist at every news organization is like which one of us gets the interview with trudeau well the biggest most important one here and so it's it's sort of like a way of conferring status uh, within a news organization, that high status reporter might not be the one who actually has like three stories that they care about getting comment on or progressing in some way. So, City News was remarkable in that they, you know, they shared. But there's a problem with that format too. There's a problem with this whole thing because what happens in practice is rather than use your half hour with him to actually get something new, I think that each news organization or at least each person conducting the interview feels pressure like the big thing you're looking out for is make sure you ask him about everything, right? Like, what are the big issues right now? Don't let him off the hook. He's got to answer for everything. And the problem with that is you've only got a half hour. And it's pretty easy. Like, what happens in those newsrooms can also happen in the PMO. You basically sit down and you figure out, well, what are the main things that we could be asked about? And let's write some talking points about them. And there's no time for follow-up. It's got the same plague as the leaders' debates during the election, where it's like, how could we possibly cover all of this in this ridiculous drive-by way, where you've got like truth and reconciliation, three minutes go, like it, it's 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 almost grotesque. Well, let me ask you this then, Jesse.
0: So, okay, you have the power now. Canada Land gets granted the interview. How do you interview Justin Trudeau? You have a half hour. Go. <laughs>
1: Uh, I, we've asked for the interview and we don't get one. And, and I think I'm probably revealing today why we wouldn't get one is because like, I don't know what value it presents for me to just go through it. Like, and, and what you probably noticed watching all those different interviews is that everybody basically asked him the same things. You know, some people missed one or two and then it was just like, he could just give his talking points. Like It wasn't specific to the question. He just answered to the subject, but I'll answer your question. I've had one question for Trudeau since the beginning when we put in our first request and didn't get it. Which is just that, like, I want to hear him answer this question. I want to hear him answer, like, where is your sense of your limits? Because I I got nothing against this guy. Look, I have a lot in common. I mean, certainly he's from, like, a more rarefied echelon, but I'm a privileged guy, too. I went to the same university as this guy. We had the same professor. And I know that I shouldn't be running this country. Like, <laughs> I've been given every encouragement in life to think that I could do anything, but I do have a sense of like, no, don't put that in my hands. Like, there's no way I'm the guy for that. And given what I'm talking to you now, Justin, given your background, what on earth makes you think that you can do this job? Like, what have you shown to us? It's a question about arrogance, really. Do you know something about your skills and abilities that we don't? Because there's nothing in the track record well, I don't have to insult you. I don't want to insult you. But don't you think there's somebody like, isn't it weird that the guy who you think should have this job just happens to be the son of the guy who used to have this job? That's pretty weird. I just, I want to hear him explore that a little bit because I think it's fucked up in a democracy that the sons of leaders become leaders. My second question to him would be like, you haven't had a lot of consequence for anything in your life. You do a lot of things that turn out to be really foolish and it, it doesn't seem to. Graze you. It doesn't seem to hurt you in any way. So it's possible, I understand that it's possible that you could do blackface at least three times and maybe suppress that somewhere in the bottom of your consciousness. But you had to know when you were being vetted, when you ran for office, when you ran for leadership, when you ran for prime minister. Like in this day and age, that ends the careers of politicians. A photo of a politician in blackface. That would end the career of a Republican in the South. Let alone somebody who claims to be a progressive. So every day that you let this multi-million dollar machine of their liberal party push you out there and your and your family and all of your supporters had their entire careers and lives resting on your viability, you knew today might be the day that those photos surface. And you let them do it anyhow. What the fuck, man? Th- those that, that's all that's as far as I got in this in this hypothetical. So you, you type that all out in like the written questions or I have David them memorized, or, David. Uh, I'm uh, ready. If, if, I, if, I, if I'm like standing next to him in a urinal, I got them. And now, you know, yeah, now they're the out there. One. So he can, he can prepare his talking points. I will say something about the
0: format of how I would interview a politician or any politicians for a while. And, and I saw this kind of, I think, I can't remember which news organization did this. It was like the, the politician. It's like first date politicians. They kind of riffed on, on the idea I wanted to do where you had like two opposing politicians go and like have a picnic or something like Jagmeet Singh and Doug Ford having like a, a Chardonnay. And uh, Christy Pitts, but I think that we should just get a journalist and a politician together, set up a CRT TV and an N64, play Mario Kart, right? And just kind of start talking because you get into that flow state and he's not going to have that message track anymore because that's the big problem with these interviews is that you can close your eyes and ask Trudeau. If, if you play like all the tracks of, of all the different Trudeau things without looking, I, it doesn't matter who he's talking to. Like the answer is consistently the same. Oh, we learned a lot this year. Oh, we're here for Canadians this. But if you get someone playing Mario Kart and you're shooting a blue shell at them, they are not paying attention to their script and you will get them to say what they really feel.
1: Wow, I think you and I have both demonstrated why we are not getting the interview. So let's let's talk about those who did here. <laughs> and I think it would be on Rainbow Run that he would really, that's where the gotcha moment would happen would be I uh, think so too. Yeah. yeah. Uh okay, so Let's say we actually had the golden opportunity, you got your 30 minutes, maybe less, clock is ticking, choose your questions wisely, go. So I'll ask you what a lot of Canadians are wondering as this year comes to a close, when will this end? Do you believe that the pandemic stage of COVID will end in 2022?
0: But how long? I mean, what's their project? Are we out of this in, that's all we get at. Are we out of this in January? Are we out of this by uh, next year?
1: Why would he know that? Why would he know that?
0: Yeah. (laughs) Why would, yeah. Why would he know that? Why are you asking him that? What what answer, what, what actual answer do you expect?
1: Like, what is the conceit of that question? Which was, you heard city news and then you heard Evan Solomon at CTV. When's the pandemic going to be over, Justin? Like the conceit is that he knows that and just hasn't said so yet. Like he's like... (sighs) Yeah, I actually happen to have the answer to the question that the entire fucking planet is asking. And and like the greatest medical like researchers in the world are consistently telling, we have no idea what this virus is going to do next. But I know, and I've been waiting to speak to you, Evan Solomon, because I, I wanted you to have the scoop, the global scoop. So it's a dumbass question. It's a waste of time. And the answer to that question, it's the easiest question to answer. The answer is, I don't know. Like, you, like, yeah, there's nothing you could say critically of him. If he wants to get through these interviews without embarrassing himself, that's all he's got to say. He could say, yeah, I don't know. Or he could say, I don't know. Why, why would you think that I would know? Or if I knew, I'd tell you, but I don't like there's many variations to move on to the next question. If he wants to provide accountability and get as much accountability in here as possible. But here's what he said instead. What's I, your I remember
2: you asking me that right. question in mid 2020. Right. Uh, you asked me again at the end of 2020 and at Christmas. How long? Everyone wants to know. The scientists all have different, different timelines, different potentials. It depends how bad Omicron is. They're still trying to do the, the tests on it. We're definitely in it for a while longer. But what I can control and what the government can control is saying we will be there to support Canadians as long as it takes.
1: He's filibustering. He's running up the clock. You know? That's the moment in both of those interviews where I'm like, oh, he's just going to like blah, blah. Like maybe he's just that kind of guy to just like, why give a one sentence answer when a six sentence answer will do? I I can relate. But I I did get the sense like he's got nothing to gain here by letting them get to all their questions. Like it's just, just
0: like. Yeah, that's a soft, that's a soft, that's an easy out, right? That's just an easy, oh, cool, I can burn a couple of minutes here on telling everyone how I have their backs.
1: Yeah, to me, that this reveal, like, he's not there to give us as much information as possible. He's, he's there to get through it. And I don't think he cares if the, if the ratings are good or if this helps his public image. There's no election right now. It's like, I did my year-end interviews, okay? Without incident, nobody got me. But like, this is the big opportunity for federal government accountability that we get each year. And it's just like scattershot and on to the next question. There is one question that Rosemary Burton did ask a follow-up on. I guess I feel like I ask you this question every year where you make a mistake that seems so obvious to me, like uh, something that I would never think to do. You kind of shoot yourself in the foot. So I'm not sure, are you learning from mistakes?
2: Absolutely. I think we've all learned an awful lot over the past years and I certainly uh, will continue to make mistakes. I'm not perfect, nobody is.
1: But I just wonder whether you are, whether it shows that you're just a little bit out of touch or inoculated from understanding how things might be perceived.
2: My focus is very much on doing the right things. And I think sometimes uh, image is secondary to me. And that, unfortunately, is something we have to keep working on. But I think I would surprise people that that you would say image is secondary to me.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That that was awesome. Uh, What? What? His excuse for why did you go? And and, and the embarrassing thing this year was that he, of course, went on a beach vacation on the first Truth and Reconciliation Day. And he says, yeah, you know, I'm sorry about that. But the problem is I'm not concerned enough about optics. I was so busy doing the real work that I lost sight of, like, the superficial, which is an incredible demonstration of his lack of self-awareness that he would say that. I mean— it's cathartic to hear her verbally eye roll. Like, wait, what did you just say? That question was great, too. All, all of them, I think City News, too, they said something
0: like, uh, they said, you know, what were you thinking? I think they opened with that. And he, he kind of goes, oh, well, you know, uh, the day before, you know, was the first time we did the flag. I mean, there were lots of celebrations. Did it a lot. But then, then I went on vacation. But the real stuff was done the day before. So I don't know why you're hassling me, basically, right? He's like, well, you know, we did the stuff.
1: Well, and it shows just how sorry he is if he's still saying, well, I actually did do something and, you know, but maybe it's a different version of the question that I imagine asking him, which is essentially like, aren't you kind of a schmuck, you know, (laughs) like, and it's, it's, you know, what's somebody supposed to say to that, but it, it, it does feel good to watch him being asked that question like schmuck. Why are you such a schmuck? Aren't you kind of a schmuck? Does this not reveal that you're a little bit of a schmuck? That's an important exercise, I suppose. But then, you know, it's really revealing like, wow, Aga SNC Lavalin, We Charity, Blackface Times Three, uh, the costume dance in India, beach vacation on Tofino on the first Truth and Reconciliation Day. Why did it all happen? It's because he's been too focused on action and hasn't cared about the appearance of things. That's why he's a policy wonk. He doesn't like that. Is like such an insult to reality to everyone's intelligence. You know, it's remarkable. But David, again, again, man, there's a follow up to be asked there. Like everybody asked him, sure, okay. So the way that they dealt with indigenous issues was to ask him, what the hell was that with your beach vacation on Tof- in Tofino on Truth and Reconciliation Day? And then he says, well, I'm so busy doing the actual work that I lost sight of the optics. Well, what is that work, motherfucker? Yeah. Like, why are you still taking Indigenous kids to court? You know, and yeah. then he'll, like, like, what, what about that? And he, I know he's got his talking points on how effective he's been on Indigenous issues, but, like, there's a conversation that an informed reporter could have with him about that that really holds his feet to the fire, and it's not me. It's not me that is the right person to have that or any of those people who interviewed him. You know who could challenge him on that? Who? Aboriginal People's Television Network, right? They are perfectly suited to have that conversation. If he wants to say, I've got a good record on this issue, and they would not feel the need to ask him when the pandemic is over or what his regrets were from the last year, they would spend a half hour with him in depth asking him about this incredibly important file. But that never happened. And the issue was not that APTN did not ask. I checked. They asked him for one of those year end interviews and he passed. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. David Weiss, it is a pity and it is a shame that news stories go unnoted when really they should be duly noted. Can you duly note something? I would like to duly note, so I'm going
0: to, maybe this is a bit of a faux pas, but I'm going to duly note a US story that kind of ties back to, to Canada, which was, did you hear about this Colorado truck driver who had like a real life trolley situation, the trolley experiment where he, he had to decide split second, whether to crash into another tractor trailer or drive into traffic. And he chose traffic. A lot of people died, which is tragic. And he was sentenced to 110 years in prison, even though the people, the relatives of his victims and other things, other people have said that this is, you know, not right. Now there's millions of people petitioning it,
1: That's wild, that's wild and weird. Weird to see a hypothetical, like academic moral quandary exercise play out in reality, duly noted. I got one for you. Shoot. The cops have had a rough go in the media in in recent years, you know? Like, do we need the cops? Let's defund the cops. Why do cops keep killing people? You know, that kind of stuff. Right, okay, yeah, I'm I'm tracking you so far. All right, Uh, I wanna duly note today two cops who are a little bit different than the kind of cops you, you, you read about in this negative anti-cop media. This is a story about two cops who didn't hurt anybody except each other. and Mail story here. Niagara Regional Police Constable Nathan Parker, uniformed officer. He was assigned to help his boss, uh, Detective Sergeant Donovan, uh, after an, uh, a car crash. And he, we need a cop here to block a road near Pelham, Ontario so that the collision reconstruction unit could collect evidence, et cetera, et cetera. So that's his job, block the road. He leaves to go to the bathroom, and traffic flows through. And when he gets back, his boss is mad at him, and they get into an argument. And uh, the cop, Nathan Parker, gets out of his cruiser, and he shoves Sergeant Donovan, gives him a shove. And then Sergeant Donovan tells Parker, Parker, you're under arrest for assaulting a police officer. But uh, the guy keeps coming at him, and takes out his baton and allegedly is throwing punches. Right. right. These cops are getting into a fist fight. Well, it wasn't a fist fight because when Parker took out his baton, his senior officer, Detective Sergeant Donovan, took out his gun. Oh no, they both took out their guns. Holy shit, this story. They both have their guns out and then his boss shoots him 10 times. Oof. He shot him 10 times. So obviously charges were filed, not against the cop who shot because he was obviously acting in self-defense. What do you do if somebody comes at you with a baton? Uh, you shoot him 10 times. No, that's, that's reductive. They both had their guns out. Shoots him 10 times, and I, I, you can't tell from the story why the guy's still alive. I was gonna, uh, I was gonna say. This just gets crazier. It gets crazier. So who, who actually gets charged is Constable Nathan Parker, the one who first shoved and took out his baton, but they dropped the charges. Well, that was, that was courteous. They dropped the charges. They drop the charges, and the judge says the reason why is because the credibility of the senior officer, Detective Sergeant Donovan, is insufficient, and he's the key witness, the guy who shot the other cop. So they both walk. Well, really? The, other, the guy was walking after 10 shots? They both are off the hook. So there's a happy ending to this well, story. All right. it's a Christmas miracle. To protect and serve. Duly noted.
0: Tonight, Quebec hits a crisis point, and the rest of Canada isn't far behind. Holiday
2: plans upended by Omicron, with an explosion of cases expected soon, and the rush for rapid tests. Now they're going through the Hunger Games rapid test
0: edition.
1: Wow, okay. Uh, David, last week, I've had a hell of a week since last week's show, because people were angry. At you? Yeah, yeah, at me. I'm here trying to help, and people got angry with me, and they got angry with Nora... Because I guess the feeling was that we were trying to minimize the threat of the Omicron variant. I don't know that we were trying to minimize. This is basically where we came in on this, is that the media reporting on Omicron was and remains incredibly frightening, incredibly high-pitched. And we looked at a couple specific things like, you know, the head of the, of the science table here in Ontario, this guy Uni, he said it's a myth that Omicron is milder. And then Bruce Arthur writing at the Toronto Star, he said, everything Omicron does is exponential at a level that the human mind can hardly grasp. And I think that based on those those reported statements and many others, it was pretty easy for people to get the idea that not only was this thing way more contagious than Delta, but that it was like going to get you way sicker. And the early information coming in was that just the opposite was true, was that actually this is milder. And... As a week has progressed, there's a lot more data suggesting that that is in fact the case. I know, horrible news for everybody. Who doesn't like to hear good news, but like. Yeah. It presents asymptomatically. It presents much more with common cold symptoms. The rates of hospitalization are lower. Once you're hospitalized, the rates of ICU necessity are lower. If you happen to get into the ICU, the rates of death, they're so small that there really isn't any data. And none of that means that we can say conclusively that it's milder, but we do have hundreds of thousands of cases now. And so we are getting a sense, right? And I guess I just was curious as to what the point or the impact was of scaring the shit out of people and withholding, some good news, withholding some like actual accurate and re- relieving information from people.
0: There's a lot of different factors here at play. And I was a little surprised by, I guess, what I would say is like a bit more of a cavalier attitude that that you were having last week. But I wouldn't say I was offended by it because I, I can see where you're coming from. I feel like sometimes our media feels like they have to, we have to scare people into complying in a sense, or like that if we offer a good, people will just take like the good news and run with it. I'm hopeful that Omicron which is, I feel is the most personified of the viruses. I don't know if you notice this, but I feel like it's like Omicron is
1: hungry. I think a lot of this has to do with the name.
0: Right, yeah. But the thing is, sure, I, I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful that it, and it seems like it may be a bit more mild, but the truth is, it's like what we talked at the beginning of the segment, is that people might take that as, okay, it's time just to go back to normal. And also, we have like 400, I would how many ICU beds do we actually have in Ontario or in Canada? We don't have enough for the population. So- for the amount of, and we have people that that are still affected by it. tertiarily. we have you know older people, people that are immunocompromised, that kind of thing. There is this fear among people that if if they if they give too much good news or people are just going to take the best thing, hear only what they want to hear, and say, all right, it's a party time, let's go.
1: I think you've got it exactly right, and I think that that is the justification that the media has had for. Basically misinforming people. Yeah. Right? Like, I think that the idea is that there is something to be afraid of here, and there is a role that the public needs to play, and we need a high level of public buy-in, and we need people to do something en masse. And we can't really give them the nuance of the reality because we're not going to get a high enough rate of participation if we tell them the truth. So... Let's basically abandon one of our first, like, like one of the cardinal rules is like, just tell people the truth about what's going on as best you can and actually scare the shit out of them on purpose. David, what would it sound like, like just to play this out and not just get mad at them for not trusting us? Like, I don't know, maybe we can't be trusted with the truth. Like what would, what would true, accurate, like respectful public health messaging sound like at this particular moment?
0: Here's what I would do, and this is, you know, a a lean into like kind of the power of data visualizations and things. Like instead of opening with like the case counts and the graphs going up and that, open with a graphic of how many ICU beds we have at any given point and how those have fluctuated, how many we have and how many citizens we have and, and and kind of do the extrapolation of the of of the Omicron variant and what happens if you know, based on what we've previously seen of the percentages of if how many people get sick, this is how many people are going to invariably end up in the uh, ICU and invariably end up on like a ventilator. Well,
1: it, it, in, invariably, except variably, like some will, but but, it, but there is a variable. Uh, there. What I'm saying uh, is
0: that there's a variable, but you use what we have so far. Like, obviously, there's, we. I'm sure, you know, I haven't done that but oh my God, I just do, as much as I love doing data stuff, I do not want to crunch COVID numbers as I, I've, a lot of people have COVID number crunch burnout, obviously. But, how I think if you just showed people over and over again, these are how many ICU beds we have, right? At yeah, any given yeah. point. Like, that's the number I think that people don't realize how tenuous our healthcare system is. As much as they complain about not being able to get an MRI at like 4 p.m. on a Tuesday, I don't think people realize how precarious it is. Hallway medicine was a thing before COVID, you know? We were already there. We are already, we already there. there. We are yeah. already Mr. Burns's, Mr. Burns, all the, uh, all the germs pushed into the doorway and even just a slight subtle breeze would tip this thing over, you know, like that, that's where we're, that's where we're operating from. And that's what I think people don't seem to grasp. And that is the biggest, that is how we responsibly do it. We say, listen, our healthcare system is shit. Why are we not, why is the prime minister only committing to dealing with this after the end that he doesn't know when it is. Yeah. Right. Like let's deal with what we know now, which is that we need more ICU
1: beds. It's interesting that we're showing ourselves here cuz like as a data journalist you're like if you show people the data that will make the case. And what where I go is if I have to imagine what would actual like reality-based honest public health messaging sound like, I just think that you could like like just reason with people through talking to them. This is how I would do it. Okay, David, if if uh, here's here's like the message from reality-based public health head Jesse Brown here. All right, here's the deal. Um we want you to do everything that you possibly can to avoid catching a virus that you're totally going to catch anyhow. Like you're totally going to catch this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I I don't want to scare you about catching it because you're going to catch it. And the fact is, it's not that bad. Like you might might have it right now and not even know that you got it. It's worse than that for some people. But like, if you did the things and you got your vaccines, yes, you're going to catch it. But we want you to think about canceling that vacation you've been looking forward to, not going to that family get-together, closing your restaurant that is on its last legs and that you rely on for your livelihood. We want you to think about all that because we want you to get sick later and the reason, stay with me now. Okay, <laughs> uh, okay. okay uh, I want you to get sick later because it's not even that you're going to go to the hospital, but you're going to give it to other people, and they're going to give it to other people. And then maybe down the line, that's going to result in people coming to the hospital. And I know what you're thinking, that the people who actually need hospitalization, a lot of them are the people who didn't get vaccinated, who didn't do all the things that you did. And now I'm asking you to make like a further sacrifice for those people. And you're not really feeling very, very nice towards those people. But fuck those people. And and by the way, it's not only those people, because there's old people and immunocompromised people who, are gonna, who might. We don't know for sure. They might end up in the hospital. But if they all end up in the hospital, then it's not about 500 beds. It's about 500,000 surgeries that were supposed to occur in the last two years that didn't. Yeah, That's what it's about. It's about people who are going to die of cancer. It's about people's quality of life. It's about 500,000 surgeries. It's about all the cancer we're not detecting because people don't come. Like, that's what it's about. And... I just need you to chill for a little while longer. And I'm probably, myself, head of Public Health Canada, I'm probably only going to do half of these things myself. At this point, we're picking and choosing, right? This is about risk management. So I'm going to do some of these things. Maybe you could do some of these things. And maybe we can, like, slow the peak of this because maybe it's going to increase hospitalization drastically. And I, I guess just just going through that expansive spiel, I can understand why they went with a different PR. Uh, yeah, tactic? yeah, yeah. Maybe just a bit. You need a TikTok. Can you do that in a TikTok to a top 40 song? <laughs> the part I don't understand is why the press went along for the ride. It's not our job to scare the shit out of people. And you know, like it's not even about a principle, uh, David. Like like check it out. Like what is the cost? Okay, so Bruce Arthur went a bit too far and Peter Uni went a bit too far. Who cares? So they led people to a false conclusion. What's the harm? Well, there is a harm. Like right now it's in this crazy gray zone of like what we're supposed to do, where it's like no one can get a test. And then we're being told, oh, yeah, even if you get a test, don't go to that dinner because the tests aren't reliable because maybe you got infected. And you got masks, but you don't have the right mask. Yeah, that one. Oh, those cloth masks I've been using haven't been good enough now. Thanks for letting me know now. And they're scaring you that if you go on vacation, you might get stranded on another part of the world. But they're not. Restricting you all of this stress and tension and conflict and decision making is downloaded to people and it's not happening at the level of like, uh, is Quebec going to have a curfew or not? There's lineups where people are exposing themselves to other people to get tests that we're told aren't even reliable. And Because it's all a series of personal decisions that we're supposed to be making here, and there's invariably going to be dissonance within families, within organizations about which of these things to do and which of these things not to do, they're setting everybody up for the shittiest Christmas. Like Everybody is like filled with stress, tension, fighting with each other. Does that matter at all that they're fucking with everybody? And that's where the media's left things. And we have no game left. Like, we've had it up to 11. Like, can we say at the end of a headline about Omicron, by the way, this is a five. You know, when it gets to 11, I'll put 11 on this because this is just a five. I think we just need to move away from the personification of Omicron.
0: Like if I have to hear one more, man, that sounds like a Transformer, doesn't it? Uh, Thing about Omicron.
1: First of all, I just want to share your frustration and pain over all of the Transformer jokes. None of them were as good as my Omicron Transformer joke. (laughs) Because mine was fact-based. I remembered Unicron uh, as uh, as performed by Orson Welles. And uh, nobody else who made those jokes knew that. Furthermore, what are newsrooms afraid of? What are people afraid of? They're, they're afraid of contributing to people, letting their guards down. We've been disappointed. This thing has gone on so much longer than we wanted it to. They're afraid of giving false hope. But, like, would you know a good thing if it bit you on the ass? David, this is the last shortcuts of the year I don't know what the fuck is going to happen with this plague, but I'm trying to get educated on this as much as you are. And a lot of what I'm reading from people, a lot smarter than me dealing with the actual facts of this are giving me hope that this might be the end of this, that there is reason to hope and believe based on facts and research that we might be in a stage where this moves into a manageable endemic and that's a nice thought to leave people with as we close out the season here.
0: And I would just like to also say, now that I know that I might get the final word on the last shortcuts, uh, is that we'll see. Is that you know just a shout out to all of the restaurants and businesses, so many especially you know around here in Toronto that are struggling with all the flip-flopping, and you know I hope that they're able to, to weather this crisis. So,
1: all right, nice final word. That's Shortcuts this week. Thanks for joining me, David. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. You can email me about it at jesse at CanadaLand.com and I read everything you send. David Weiss, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me um, at David Weiss at Twitter uh, and also, uh, you know, various places online. Various places online. This episode is produced by Aviva Lessard with additional production by Tristan Capicione. Our managing editor is Kieran Oudshorn. Theme music is by so-called Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can give the gift of Canada Land. When you go to canadaland.com/gift, send a premium Canada Land subscription to somebody who might like it.